belong, become, believe. You're listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. The message for April 3rd, 2022 is called, What Do You Expect? The speaker is Jean Ray and the location is Clap Auditorium, Mount Sequoia in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Again, welcome if you're listening on the podcast. My name is John Ray. This is Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas. Also, hey, we're really glad the kids are in here. Got a lot of kids today. Uh, we do have activities up here if you need some. Big kids, little kid activities up here. But we are really glad you're here. And so you have a question, you're squirming, you need something. That's great. We are glad that you are here. It is not a disturbance at all. And I love the hat. That's awesome. Yes, we should all have one of those. Um, so I've been traveling the last 10 days, so I'm, I'm a little, I think it's allergy voice this morning more than anything, but also got in last night from 10 days of traveling, um, and my time in Texas yesterday concluded with a gathering of former classmates around the grave of one of our former teachers. And I won't go into the details on that. It's in the learning guide, though, um, the story of, of why I was there with that. I will say this, that that experience that I had, like so many countless others, dramatically affect the way we approach and understand this scripture that we dive into today. Specifically, it helps define how we respond as Christians to tragedy, to need, to unanswered prayers, to death, disease, divorce that none of us want, but happen. How do we reconcile those things when we read a text like we read today where miracles occur? Where somebody else's prayers are answered, and they are answered in miraculous ways. How do we reconcile that? And so we're going to look at this today, and I want to ask all of us to keep a really open mind here. Because this is not an easy text to ask deep questions about. But they are essential, it is essential, that we ask these questions. Because it does affect how we view Scripture. Not only that, but how we live our lives with that. And what we're going to see today... I believe, well, first of all, last week's big idea was this. Shannon did a terrific job, and she talked about how the Christian gospel isn't just good news. It's a revolution and a declaration to those in power. That Jesus has an agenda with his gospel to declare the kingdom of God is here and a new reign to everyone. So if you weren't here last Sunday or you haven't heard the message, go back. Shannon did a great job. But we build on that because it's essential that we see that these miracles that we're going to encounter in the text today don't just happen in isolation. 
It's not just, they're not just dropped down in here, but they take place in a sequence of events. So Jesus has declared his revolution. He's declared this kingdom. And now he's going to do something about it. He's going to demonstrate with his power that he can do what he says he wants to do. That's the basis of trust, is that we believe that a person can actually accomplish what they say they are here to do. So the testimony of Jesus' miracles points us to a much bigger truth. This invites us to open our imaginations to a much different understanding of what is real, what is possible, and what we can hope for. So let's read the text. It's a, it's a rather long series of texts. It starts in Mark 1, verse 29. But we're going to see a series, like boom, 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 of these miraculous events and encounters that come immediately after Jesus has declared his agenda. So we have to remember, Jesus come, he said, hey, this is what I want to do. This is who I am. This is what I'm about. And then he goes about setting these proofs that he can do it. So now, as soon as they left the synagogue, they entered Simon and Andrew's house with James and John. Simon's mother-in-law was lying down, sick with a fever. So they spoke to Jesus at once about her. He came and raised her up gently by taking her hand. The fever left her, and she began to serve them. When it was evening after sunset, they brought to him all who were sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered by the door. So he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. But he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Then Jesus got up early in the morning while it was still very dark, departed, went out to a deserted place, and there he spent time in prayer. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said, Everyone is looking for you. He replied, Let's go elsewhere into the surrounding villages so that I can preach there too, for this is what I came out here to do. So he went out into all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. Now a leper came up to him, fell to his knees, asking for help. If you are willing, you can make me clean, he said. Moved with indignation, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing, be clean. The leprosy left him at once, and he was clean. Immediately, Jesus sent away the man with a very strong warning. He told him, see that you do not say anything to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest, priest and bring the offering that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But as the man went out, he began to announce it publicly and spread the, sto the story widely so that Jesus was no longer able to enter any town openly, but stayed outside in remote places. Still, they kept coming to him from everywhere. Now, after some days, when he returned to Capernaum, news spread that he was home. So many gathered there that there was no longer any room, not even by the door. So he preached the word to them. Some people came bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. When they were not able to bring him because of the crowd, they removed the roof, among where Jesus was. Then after tearing it out, they lowered the stretcher the paralytic was lying on. When Jesus saw their face, he said to the paralytic, saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of those experts in the law were sitting there, turning these things over in their mind. Why does he speak this way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now immediately when Jesus realized in his spirit that they were Contemplating such thoughts, he said to them, Why are you thinking such things in your heart? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Stand up, take your stretcher, and walk. But, and get this, here it is, 
But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, stand up, take your stretcher, and go home. Immediately the man stood up, took his stretcher, went out in front of them all. They were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. It, remember, when we talk about Mark, and we talked about it in our introduction, it is, a, it is a book of action immediately. How many times? Immediately they go, this happens. They came from everywhere. People were coming in. He healed them. He did all these kinds of things. We get this boom, boom, boom. It's like nonstop. The pressure is coming in. Jesus is even trying to, to, trying to kind of regulate the pressure. He's saying, look, I'm going to heal you. Just don't tell anybody else, y'all. <laughs> like, I need to get away. I need to pray, but hold on. But, but he couldn't stop it. It was like once the momentum started, there was no stopping it. It was just rolling and rolling and rolling. And don't we want something like that now? Don't we wish there was somewhere we could go where someone would heal, someone would answer that prayer that we cannot see any way to be answered ourselves? Don't we long for that? What do we expect from God? When we read this, I think we start to maybe want something, start to maybe hope for something, and then we walk out the door and we're confronted with the reality of our life. And that kind of dies. We kind of put that in the realm of the religious. We put that in the realm of the theoretical. Well, listen, you're not alone in doing that. We're not alone in doing that. But we have to understand, we have to back up a little bit first. Because much has been made of this. And we have to start with the premise. What is the purpose of the miracles in the first place? Was Jesus moved by compassion for those who were sick and demon-possessed? Absolutely. Was the reason, at least part of the reason, that he healed them to relieve them, to give immediate relief? Sure it was. But listen, there were, he didn't heal everybody. He didn't cast out every demon. There were still plenty of the people in the world who could never had heard about, never heard, heard about Jesus, never able to get to him. We see even some people had to fight through crowds and remove roofs to get to him. There were still people as he left the village who weren't healed, who weren't delivered with that. So the miracles are there to point to something bigger. They are a demonstration of something that it's hard to say, right? It's hard to say when you're sick that there is something more important than being physically healed. It's hard to say when your marriage is falling apart that there is something more important than restoration of your marriage. It's hard to say when your child is hurting or lost that there is something more important than that restoration and saving that child. But there is, there is something bigger 
there is something more important that we have to be pointed towards. That we have to be made aware of in that. The purpose of the miracles here, yes, is to heal the people, but it is to point to something bigger, to Jesus' ultimate power to do what he says he's going to do, which he says in the gospel. He says, my purpose is to proclaim the kingdom of God among you. Now, again, that's churchy language. We struggle over it. We stumble over it. We don't use it in everyday stuff. We don't talk about kingdoms. But really, what it means is, is that the things that we think are going to kill us won't. The things that we think are going to destroy us, are going to separate us, are going to disqualify us, don't. That's the kingdom of God. That's the message. That's the good news. No matter what you've done, or has been done to you, or that you feel captive to, or put on you, isn't the ultimate end. It doesn't have the final word. It's not going to kill you. It's not the end. That there is nothing that cannot be restored, redeemed with that. Look, as a side note, we've talked about this before. Sin is no longer the problem for people. Sin is a problem, okay? Let's, Let's get that straight. Sin is a problem, but sin is not the problem. Sin has been taken care of. Jesus did that. He took care of that. Now, we still have a task, right? We understand that now the problem, really, the basic problem that keeps us out of this is our self-righteousness, is our lack of awareness, is our lack of admission that, hey, we need help. We need this thing that is being offered. The problem is we say either... I'm going to do it, and I don't need you. Or, on the other extreme, you do everything, I don't want to do any of it. So it's either self-righteousness, or it's ignorance. For most of us, it's just a lack of practice. It's just a lack of really doing these things, walking in them, incorporating them. Um, You know, all through Mark, we're going to have this jar, if it doesn't get broken, we're going to have this jar of pickles, Sitting. Does anybody remember what the pickles? What's that a symbol of? Our baptism, right? Is that in our baptism, when we are baptized into the church, when we're baptized into Jesus, we're not dipped and pulled out. We are dunked and pickled. We are being transformed. That is, that is, the pickle is the, the image of this practice of being transformed through a lifetime into the image of God. So, these miracles are pointing us to something greater, a greater salvation, a greater thing that is happening. But, we still have to deal with this. Is the God who did the miracles the same? What about miracles now? And this is where we get into some really interesting things. We get into dispensations, accusations, and and, uh, explanations. So a lot of people have used this term dispensations. Anybody heard that? That there's special dispensations? It's kind of like, hey, when Jesus was there and the apostles were there, that was the age of miracles. There was a dispensation of miracles. And that stopped 
with the apostles. That, that God essentially stopped doing these kind of miracles. And that we are no longer in that dispensation. That now we're kind of back to normal, I guess. I don't know. Uh, where, where God is, is now removed and, and maybe occasionally may, God may do something, but people can't do miracles. People can't do these things. Whole denominations have been formed over this. Churches have split over our miracles. Can we do them now or can we not with this? And that's where the accusations come in because those denominational divides have become so intense that people have actually accused people of not being Christian. Oh, you believe in miracles? You believe in all that? Woo, 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 you know? Um, you're not a Christian. And then the people who are doing all this stuff are, are purporting that they're doing all the miracles and stuff. They say, hey, unless you're doing miracles, you're not a Christian. So there's these dispensations and there's these accusations. There's a whole, there's a whole industry built up around writing books and having con conferences on either you're pro-miracle or you're anti-miracle, non-miracle. And then there are the explanations. There are the people saying, oh, you know, well, uh, it really wasn't a demon. It was, uh, you know, he had, he had a mental illness, and, and Jesus' kindness healed his mental illness. It really wasn't anything spiritual. It wasn't anything out of the normal. It wasn't the, the, the leper, you know, somehow Jesus provided a, a, a very understandable, explainable, medical, physiological reason for doing this. They, they weren't really miracles. People have been arguing this stuff for 2,000 years. And I, I look at all of it and go, I may be simple in this, but I'm thinking God is the same God. God hasn't changed. But at the same time, somebody has. And that somebody is us. There can be no denying that we have changed. That the way we view the world, sickness, possession, spirituality, spiritual realms, has changed. We live in a secular age. And I, and I don't, I, I'm, I really hesitate to use this word, but it's, it's the actual correct word for it. We live in a secular age in the idea that, that our, there is a buffer culturally, mentally, the way we envision the world, we, we envision our lives, that there is a buffer between us and what we would call the supernatural. How many of you expect driving down the road to see an angel just show up? I, I mean, I, I kind of want to expect that, but i, I got to tell you, I don't. I don't expect to see miraculous things, what we would call miraculous things, happen. Because my experience, everything in my experience tells me they're not going to happen. I can read the Bible all day long, but everything in my experience tells me, you know what, there are consequences to actions with that, with the things. And, and those consequences usually, they, they work out the way you think they're going to do. So there's, a, there's an author who writes about this, and he says, almost everyone in agree, almost everyone can agree that one of the big differences between us and our ancestors of 500 years ago is that they lived in an enchanted world. 
okay, 500 years and, and before that, that they lived in an enchanted world, and we do not. At the, very at the very least, we live in a much less enchanted world. We, what this does is it, it, the big difference between us and them is that we live in a much firmer sense of the boundaries between self and others. We are buffered selves. We have changed. This is not only true for interpreting this text, but it's true for interpreting the whole Bible, that we have to understand that we as people have changed from the people that this was originally written to. Their understanding of things was different than ours. I want to be quick to say this doesn't make us better. This doesn't mean that we're right and they're wrong. But we do have to understand that it's different. It's different with this. We've changed. Our technology has changed. Technology changes us. Our cosmology, our understanding of the universe and the planets has changed. This changes us. We have 2,000 additional years of history. And we have access not only to our own history, but other people's history. This changes us. Our philosophies have changed. Our social constructs have changed. With that, that has changed who we are. Our collective story about who we are, why we are, what our purpose is, has changed. The way we understand God has changed and is changing. And all that is undeniable. It may not be comfortable. It may take a little effort to parse out exactly what that means, but it is undeniable that we have changed. And here's the other thing. We're going to keep changing, y'all. We are going to keep changing as individuals, as a church, and as a society. Doesn't scare God. Doesn't catch God off guard. And the God who did speak to our ancestors, all of our ancestors, not just ones we read about in the Bible, but all of the subsequent ancestors, continues to be there for us. God is not trying to get us to this state of static, some, some imaginary state of static perfection, and then just go, okay, you guys are good now. I'm gone. You go handle it. It's not like that at all. It's an ever-growing, ever-changing relationship. So that brings us to this. What do we expect? When we read this passage, and we see Jesus healing these people, when all of us, to one degree or another, have something in us we want healed, all of us, to one degree or another, want something in to be delivered from something. We want something fixed that we can't fix. What do we expect? I want to tell you this. 
what I am practicing. I haven't arrived. I haven't gotten there yet. Is I am practicing expecting that God is with me in that. I am practicing believing that the gospel is true. That there is nothing that I am facing that is ultimately going to disqualify me or destroy me. That God cannot redeem. God cannot make something out of with that. Laura made a great a great comment as we were preparing this week. She talked about we, we really neglect or we really often don't see the social impact of the healings that were happening. You see, in... In an ancient cosmology, in an ancient understanding of God, if you were sick, you did something wrong. If you were possessed, you invited that possession. And so as a result, you were ostracized from community. You were cut off from your people. And that one of the major impacts of Jesus' healing was the restoration of individuals back into community. Y'all, that, has what, that is what has been accomplished for all of us. That's the miracle that is not just there for those people who saw Jesus. Y'all, that is for all of us. One of the biggest, most, almost cussed. One of the most egregious lies out there is that you are disqualified from the community of God and God's people. That something you have done, some way that you are, some situation that you're in, disqualifies you. You're cut off. That's done. That has been taken care of. That's the thing that the miracles were pointing to, is that Jesus was saying, no, I've done away with all that. I've done away with all the divisions. I've done away with all of the condemnation. I've done away with all of that. The kingdom of God is here. Relationship is restored with God, with self, and with others. With that. That there is no longer anything, as, as, as Paul writes in Romans, right? There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Height or depth, persecution, tribulation, anything. It's all been done away with. That's the thing that miracles point to. That's the things that miracles demonstrate. That is what it is supposed to turn our eyes towards because we still live in this kingdom time of yes, now, but not yet. Our communion table, we talk about this a lot, is a constant reminder of the kingdom of God. The ancient future kingdom coming. The kingdom that will be perfect, smoothed out, polished, all the rough edges taken off. The place where we come from, rough, tangled, broken. But the place where we are, being smoothed out, working towards that, moving in the direction of fulfillment, but not fully there yet. I... I spoke at this this <laughs> this graveside service 44 years after the event yesterday morning about this time. And I looked around at my former classmates, 
And I quoted Frederick Buechner, and I, I love the quote that he says. He said, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. Y'all, here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. And that's not an empty promise. That's not a, hey, just buck up. There, are, there is no boogeyman under your bed. Just buck up. Don't be afraid. No, it is don't be afraid. Why? Because look at what Jesus has done. Look at who Jesus is. Look at what he has demonstrated tangibly in these miracles. That power and what it points to is available to us today. It is here. It is with us. That's the thing that this is pointing towards. That is the reason for the miracles. And that is what we should expect. Modern, secular people, or people in a secular culture, 2,000 years later, we should expect that that thing that God promised and demonstrated that he was capable of completing through the miracles is here today. That's it. So we have to practice this. We practice this every day. We practice this the way we live our lives. We practice it by coming to the communion table. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We have to practice not being afraid of the bad things. The disease, the death, the dementia, the depressions, the depression. They're going to happen, yes. But Jesus promises that he has overcome them all. That he is with us and through these things and with all things. That there is no longer any power that leaves us abandoned or punished or feeling punished or neglected. That even the worst that we can encounter cannot separate us from this love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And that there is nothing that we experience that is beyond this redemption. So our communion table is open to everyone. It's part of our practice of receiving the reminder that it's done. These things have been done. They've been accomplished. This is also the time where we sit and we reflect. Where is it that you need to change your expectation? Where is it that we need to change our expectations, y'all, in this? It's the time we give our offerings because we share with one another. We indicate by our giving our offerings, none of us is without something to give. We all have something to give. None of us is without need. We all have a need. So we share. We see this happen among us. Y'all, it's hard sometimes to believe this. It's hard when you're in a hospital room or at a graveside. Bankruptcy filing divorce comes through, whatever it is, whatever it is. It's hard to believe these things. But that's the invitation. That's the invitation now. It's to expect that there is a different outcome. There's something more going on. Something more permanent, something more beautiful, something more true. Thanks for being here this morning.
Thank you for listening to Grace Church of Northwest Arkansas podcast. You can find more about us online at gracechurchmwa.org. Grace and peace.